Congratulations, this podcast is meant for you. Welcome back to the Welcome to Westworld podcast here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler, ready to ride through the park again with my good friend, Joe Garfine, who I have not talked to on a podcast in way too long. Joe, how are you, my friend? This means everything to me. I am so excited that we are back to talk about our favorite show, Westworld, on this podcast and be seriously analytical dorks and do some deep dives uh, and recap weekly episodes. I think we're going to have a really fun time and probably mention Lost too often again. And Way as, too often. As we do, as we are original Lost nerds. But uh, it is a joy and a pleasure to be able to podcast about Westworld with you. And I'm excited to talk about The Big Return. Oh, my God. The big return. So much has happened here in just one episode of Westworld. First new episode of Westworld since 2016. Long time (laughs) between seasons. It's been a minute. Uh, You know, it's been almost a year and a half at this point, if not uh, exactly a year and a half. My math is kind of fuzzy on it. A lot of things are fuzzy right now, such as my memory feeling a little Bernardish, perhaps, Joe. Are you Bernardold? I might be Bernarnold. Uh, the role of Josh Wiggler will be played by Jeffrey Wright on this podcast. Oh, I'd like to see that. Yeah, I think that would be fun. Uh, I don't know if we've got the the reach for that quite yet, but we'll uh, we'll see what we can do as we're trucking <laughs> along here on this podcast. So just to set everything up for you guys who are listening to this, who maybe have not heard Joe and I on this podcast before, welcome. It's great to have you here. Joe and I are, as she said, Westworld nerds. We love this show. We love talking about the show. We do a lot of nerdy, deep divey theorizing. So that's going to happen along the way here as we recap the episode. Uh, Probably some of these theories will be nowhere even remotely (laughs) close to the truth of how this is all going to play out. We might hit on some things as well. So hopefully it's a nice ratio there. The crazy theories I find are always the most fun to talk through. So there's going to be plenty of that going on here. You can find these podcasts on post show recaps. That's postshowrecaps.com. If you want to subscribe, make sure you don't miss an episode. Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes is the way. And Joe knew this season for the Westworld podcast. We are also posting these podcasts at my day job at the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, that's really fun. THR.com is going to be hosting some of these podcasts as well. So uh, hopefully if you have found us through THR, we are not too silly for your sensibilities, but it's entirely possible that we will be. Well, that's fancy and I appreciate the extra ad and welcome new nerds. Welcome, new nerds indeed. Joe, how about you tell everybody a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you're all about, and how you're coming to Westworld? (laughs) Well, okay, Josh, I'll take it away. Uh, As Josh said, my name is Joe Garfine, and I am the executive director and co-founder of a nonprofit organization called Cancer Gets Lost. We basically acquire via donation, primarily, uh, items from the film and TV industry, collectibles, if you will, memorabilia. We get as much of it as we can signed, and we host online and live auctions and donate our proceeds to various cancer charities. So through that, I have met uh, many wonderful human beings. I used to be a lost blogger back in the day, and that's where it all started. And we named it Cancer Gets Lost because, well, we want all types of cancer to get lost. And it's an homage to our original first love show. And uh, it's sort of taken off. It's just two of us who do this in our spare time. And we have uh, day jobs as well. And so one of the things I get great joy from Lisa Joy, shout out. Is, uh, <laughs> That's great. To. No, is, the uh, puns are good. The puns yeah, will the, be flowing. They'll be flowing today. We're a little rusty, but it'll be fun. Is to, yes. you know, I met Josh um, through 
charity and through freelance opportunities and through loss. And we've been friends for about almost 10 years now. And That's crazy, it is a, yeah. this is a lovely bonus to be able to, to, you know, spew speculation. I always say that the fun is in the speculation, but take it with a grain of salt because we are winking at you as we record. And uh, yeah. <laughs> that's basically my gist. We have a huge online charity auction of 450 items in July. So you can find everything about that at cancergetslost.org. And I will stop plugging now. No, it's all a really great cause. And Joe works tirelessly on that front. So if you're interested in, you know, not just Westworld, not just Lost, but any shows that are kind of in this same genre space, Joe's got you covered and she's got you covered for a good cause. So definitely check it out. Um, as Joe mentioned, we've known each other for a long time. Joe, we met on the set of Fringe, if that if I'm remembering that right. Uh, March 2010, to be specific. Yes. Yeah, that's wild. So Joe and I met while we were both doing set visits to Fringe. Uh, Lost was just in the process of wrapping up. Uh, if we had a frozen donkey wheel, if we could go back in time, Joe, and if we could have podcasted the whole series of Lost, that would have been a spectacular thing. As it is, we've talked about Lost on a few podcasts here and there, and we'll probably talk about it here on Westworld. But this show is a really worthy successor to the types of conversations I think we would have had back when Lost was airing. This is obviously a show that that is filled with rabbit holes to explore and just theory after theory. The theory culture that has popped up around this show is unlike just about anything that I have ever seen. Um, and just in this one episode alone here as season two is kicking off, there are a lot of different corners, I think, that are worth exploring. So that's going to be really fun. Just as a uh, means of a quick introduction for myself, in case you don't know who I am. Hi, I'm Josh. I work for The Hollywood Reporter. I cover Westworld for The Hollywood Reporter. THR.com slash Westworld is our hub for that. We're having um, interviews, theory pieces, uh, roundups of news, all sorts of good stuff happening over there this season. Uh, so hope you check it out. That should all be additive to what we're doing here on the podcast. So with all of like the, the dirty details out of the way, shall we journey into night, Joe? Um, I would like to go to a terraformed part of the park, please. Yes. Okay. So we are going to go to a mysteriously terraformed part of the park <laughs> that should not exist. Uh, I think before we dive straight into that particular ocean, um, I would love to know just kind of what your thoughts were on the premiere overall. I mean, it has been so long since we've seen a new episode of Westworld. Did you feel like it had, uh, hadn't missed a beat? Did, it, did you think that the show itself felt rusty at all? What was your overall take on just watching this first episode back? I specifically didn't rewatch, um, really because of lack of time, but I was, I planned to rewatch the finale of season one, but I didn't. And I actually feel, um, okay that I watched this sort of fresh and I thought it was great because it really picked up immediately after, um, the massacre at the party in the finale. And I love the, the dichotomy and the, the, the split stories between Maeve and Dolores and that they're running the world in their own way, un, unbeknownst to each other, what they're doing. Um, so I thought that they sort of wove that thread brilliantly. And then I was telling Josh before that, thank goodness he is more clear on the timeline of it all, because <laughs> as was the case in season one, uh, as much as I have amazing theories about each character, I'm not exactly sure when these things took place. Uh, right. So you will be the clarifying person throughout. But overall, I would give this a, a nine of ten. I thought that it was, uh, you know, obviously I loved it as well. Uh, and I, I think one of the things that I enjoyed the most about the way that this season 
begins um, is that it's really leaning on so many of the strengths of the first season, or at least a lot of the ideas that were established in the first season. I think whether or not you liked some of those ideas, that's a matter of preference. But timeline wonkiness being one of them, where the first season of Westworld was showing us things from at least three distinct periods of time, the days when Arnold Weber was alive and was working with Dolores towards finding consciousness and working with her in collaborating with her to free the hosts by way of killing them all. Uh, That is the whole uh, Wyatt origin story that's established in the first season. Then there's this whole point in the timeline where these young men, William and Logan, are traipsing throughout the park, causing all sorts of mischief. William trying to be a white hat, but instead turning out to be a young version of the man in black, Ed Harris's character, who is a dominant figure in this third and most important point in the timeline, which is where the vast majority of the action on this show is currently taking place. That's the the whole point when Dolores connects the fact that she is experiencing things from multiple points in her own life. Um, She's recalling memories that she didn't know that she had access to. And that all culminates in her achieving something resembling consciousness. Uh, As we come to find out that it's at the the goading, the suggestion of the now late Robert Ford, played by Anthony Hopkins, who wants to free the hosts, who at first throughout much of the season you thought was kind of in opposition to the ideas established by his late friend Arnold. And it turns out that he actually really thinks that Arnold was onto something and he regrets a lot of the decisions that he made along the way. And now this is sort of an attempt to atone for a lot of those decisions. At least that's how we understand it right now. Right. But what happens obviously is Dolores kills Ford Uh, He dies. That's the end of season one with hosts now able to fire back at the guests. And that's obviously such a huge game changer for the status quo. And that is the vast majority of what we're focusing on in this first episode of season two is the fallout from that, the aftermath, what this park looks like now. But the show is also very interestingly leaning on its twistiness with time. Um, You know, in the first season, it was very cagey. That reveal that William was the man in black, even though, you know, a bunch of people had kind of pieced it together a bit in advance. And I think that that is a testament to the collective brain power of this show's audience, especially the people who really like to go down those theorizing rabbit holes. Um, It was it was not played up front. And now, as uh, Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy, the creators of the show, they have said uh, that they are playing cards up with time. Um, They have established that hosts experience time and memory in different ways than humans do, where they sometimes have trouble... Um, you know, sorting through what is really happening in a moment with what happened once upon a time. And that's what we're experiencing through Bernard, through much of this episode, through Jeffrey Wright's character, where the episode really throws you out of whack. You have no idea when or where you are at first, but it becomes clear or clear-ish uh, as, as you're going through these first 15 minutes or so that Bernard in and uh Stubbs played by Luke Hemsworth and Carl Strand the new character by Gustav Skarsgård all of these people who are in the park now which by the way is an island Joe so <laughs> there's an island there's a hatch keep going there's a hatch on this island on a show that is definitely not called Lost it is called Westworld uh this is this is all happening 2 weeks after 
the incident, uh, to borrow yet another phrase, the, the moment when Dolores killed Ford. Um, so we get that line in, in these, uh, opening scenes from, from Strand. It makes it clear that the park has been dark for about two weeks. So the show is leaning on that, on that tool of, uh, we know that the audience now knows that time is a factor on this show. It's a creative force. It's something that they can break out of their toolkit and they're doing that right away. Uh, and now there's this great mystery of what happened in the two weeks between Dolores shooting Ford and Strand arriving at the park and his company discovering by the end of this episode that it looks like things have gone fairly poorly for Dolores's revolution. I would say uh, a shout out to Jeffrey Wright, first of all, because I think that by design, they had us being as dizzy as he was, the the way that they move the camera, the way the physicality of Jeffrey Wright's uh, choices as an actor in this episode, I think were as disorienting for us as they were for him. And I think that, again, was by design. And I really appreciated that. And his little flashes before his eyes, to take from another of our favorite titles. Um, for me, I thought, are these flashbacks or are they flash forwards? They seemed, seemed a lot of them to be premonitionary, if that's a word. Right. <laughs> I just made it up. Uh, and a lot of them didn't. Um, and so there's just a giant puzzle. And, and as someone who likes puzzles and doesn't need all the answers, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I also noticed that when they did the brain scan, which we'll talk about later, I think that that brain goop was amazing. Um, that when they removed the um, the brain chip from the deceased host on the beach, it showed that Dolores killed him 11 days ago. And that the, so it's been two weeks. So what happened in those four days? That's between the, killing that's the, the question. Hosts? Right. So I hope that we dive into that. Oh, yeah, for sure. So let's dive into where the episode begins. And speaking of dizzying and disorienting, uh, we are starting with this sort of like blurred out image of Arnold? Bernard? Who is this? We don't know. I mean, the way that the scene plays out... It makes you think that this is, you know, Jeffrey Wright playing Arnold, who is the park's co-founder, and he's talking with Dolores. And it's another one of their many talks that they had along the way. Dolores is wearing that, you know, the blue dress, the rancher's daughter's dress, the Alice in Wonderland dress. I know you like to point out, Joe. Uh, And the way that the scene is playing out, it feels like this is the power dynamics of Arnold and Dolores's relationship. They're talking about the nature of dreams and do dreams mean anything? And Bernard is talking about how I dreamt I, wa- I was on an ocean with you and the others on the distant shore and you had left me behind and the waters were rising around me. And that feels very prophetic for what we see by the end yes. of the episode. So you're immediately forced to wonder, what is it that I'm watching? Uh, not for, you know, for among the many reasons, this is the first scene of the season. This has to be a massively important scene. Do you have theories on on what we're looking at here, Joe? Well, I always take a cue from the costumes. And so like you pointed out, she has the Alice in Wonderland dress, um, which we're meant to follow her down this new rabbit hole. But then Bernard has, he was dressed in all black. When he wakes up on the beach, he has the vest and tie. Um, and he does have his glasses, which we'll get to. I have a whole other conspiracy theory about Bernard's glasses being uh, a trigger for him. Um, but I immediately thought it was a, uh, an old flashback as well, that it was Arnold we were talking to based on the costumes alone. And that it's similar to the opening scene of season one as well. Yeah. And that's why I feel like 
I don't know. This show has abused me in uh, <laughs> in the way that like I, it does it does make you second guess so much, uh, and it feels very neat for this to be actually Arnold. Um, and if it's if it's not, if it's Bernard, and if we know that so much of this first episode, at the very least, if not this season, is following two different kind of moments in time that are on a collision course with each other, is it possible? that this is Dolores with Bernard in some sort of in-between period or maybe even after much of what we see in the rest of the episode. And Dolores, who we know is so empowered throughout this episode, has somehow gained power over Bernard. And what appears to be Arnold talking to Dolores with her in analysis mode might actually be some sort of reverse psychology trick between Dolores and Bernard. I like the idea of that a lot. As soon as you said that, I sort of had a, um, a light bulb go off, which is that no one else knows he's a host. Um, and that he, he said, the first thing he says is, I'm sorry, I was lost in thought. And she could have been in control and she could have programmed something and she could have programmed that dream into him. You know, uh, if, or maybe it is a premonition, I'm not really sure, but, you know, maybe she was in control in that scene and it was deceptive. I like that. Yeah, I mean, if he's saying, like, I dreamt I was on an ocean with you and the others on the distant shore, and you left me behind, and the waters were rising around me. I mean, if that's Arnold speaking in the past, then that leads me to think that, like, Dolores has likely crafted some kind of scenario where Bernard is waking up into this nightmare uh, that happens that feels very familiar because she has some sort of role for him to play in whatever, you know, hand that she's about to play against uh, Strand and the rest of these people here on the QA, the security team. Or if it's Bernard, uh, it could be him um, remembering something that happened that we see by the end of this episode, right. like at some future point. So I think that there's a lot of possibilities there, but this feels like a turnkey scene to me. Darn it. I, I took it too much at face value. This is Westworld. I should have known better. <laughs> I mean, the problem is like, uh, it, it could just be what it is at face value too. <laughs> you know, that is totally an option. But I, I think that the show has uh, engendered this, um, this, this notion of question your reality, right? You know, and right. so it, it behooves us to, to wonder, you know, to, if, if we're trying to figure out the puzzle, to at least wonder, is this what it seems to be? Well, and I think one of the interesting tells that might be leaning toward your direction, which is that she tells Bernard that his definition of real isn't completely honest because she knows now. And right. So, hmm. Okay. I need to rewatch that scene. BRB. Uh, <laughs> All right. We're pausing down and we're back. Just kidding. We did not pause down. We have to keep going. Yes. We cannot go back. Uh, all right. Let's keep pushing through the episode. So we go from that dream to Bernard waking up. Uh, and as you note, he's in he's in different clothes. I think he's in different clothes from what we're seeing him wearing in the majority of the episode. Um, I didn't pay close attention to that. I don't know if you did. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is I believe he's wearing different clothes than he was from the party where all the massacre right. happened. Right. So there's two weeks. He's in a different outfit, which also plays toward the end when he says, I killed them all. So he's obviously had a change of clothing. Um, it's been two weeks. Of- it would be nice to, you know, I know that I he's mean, a robot, but hygiene is important. I mean, suit skin does get smelly. So, I mean, I just thought it was really interesting. I think that it helps me at least do the timeline follow that he was wearing a different outfit. 
Yeah, so he wakes up and immediately somebody is sticking a gun in his face uh, and Stubbs shows up and Stubbs is basically saying, you don't want to shoot the boss. This is not a great idea. Uh, Stubbs, who... Why? How are you here? Right. Weren't you captured by Ghost Nation the last time we saw this guy? Exactly. How did he get out? Are we going to ever get that answer? I'm sure that we will. Like, I think that the fact that there's this, you know, this lost chunk of time um, gives us a lot of opportunity to, to find out something like that. But he knows Bernard. He recognizes Bernard. Bernard, it, like you can't even tell if he really recognizes Stubbs. He really seems out of sorts. Can I point something out? Of course. It, it might fall into a theory, but listen. He wakes up, his glasses are there, he doesn't put them back on, he doesn't even take them. The entire episode where he is disoriented, he does not have his glasses. That's an interesting observation. Uh, is it true on the nose that you literally cannot see clearly without them? Like there is a, there's either a trigger or there's something in them. I just feel like it is completely, again, by design that he does not have his glasses on. Yeah, because Bernard's glasses are uh, part of his reverie, right? Like that's part of, yes. uh, you know, one of like those turnkey, you know, physical attributes that keep the hosts grounded. I think that's established in the first season of the show. So it's very curious that he doesn't take the glasses. Why would you mm-hmm. think? Why do you think that is? It could have been in the programming. It could have been in the reprogramming. It, you know, I maybe he figures out the role of the glasses and decides not to use them. I'm not sure. All right. Glasses gate. It's officially on. <laughs> We're on. We're on glasses. Watch. Welcome to the first cuckoo for cocoa puffs theory of 2018. <laughs> Shall not be the last for no. sure. Uh, so Bernard, he shows up uh, at the base camp that everybody has established here as security forces are piling into Westworld. Uh, this is where we see uh, Rebus Stephen Og, the great Stephen Og, uh, <laughs> who is acting very unrebus like, especially given what we see from Rebus. Later in this episode, the uh, the the classic milk drinking gunslinger who is normally seen abusing anybody uh, that he could possibly get his hands on, and here he's like defending some some woman's honor uh, and getting shot to death over it. So can't wait to find out the Rebus origin story. I certainly hope that that is in the mix here this season. Stephen Ogg is busy, dude. Isn't he also on The Walking Dead? Well, spoiler alert, he was on The Walking Dead. Right. Sorry, I stopped watching a few seasons ago. (laughs) Apologies. Apologies for anybody who was uh, waiting for that. Uh, So so that's happening with, with this character. We're about to meet this new character, Carl Strand, who is... Um, spectacularly dressed for somebody who knows he's like walking into a very dangerous situation. Like you don't want any body armor. You're just, you know, going to wear like your nice Armani suit. This is the way you want to roll. I also want to point out that he's uh, Skarsgård three. We have Hemsworth three and Skarsgård three. Wow. Uh, of the brothers Skarsgård. That is a, uh, that is a fantastic thing. Yes. I'll be calling that all season. You're welcome. <laughs> the brothers Skarsgård. Uh, I believe he's, he's Floki from Vikings. I didn't get that far in yes. Vikings. He, I believe he has two. I didn't watch it, but I, I did my MDB research. Nice. I enjoy yes. that. So uh, Vikings fans. He's very fans. corporate. He's just like, I'm in a suit. I don't care if it's a beach. Uh, I'm corporate. He is super corporate. He is not having it with this soldier that he is talking to, who uh, I believe the internet has determined that this is this man is Chinese, uh, that this is an indication that the island uh, that we are potentially on here in Westworld is in the South China Sea. I take no credit for that theory, uh, but that seems as likely as any to me. Uh, I don't know if you have any further thoughts on that, Joe. I actually made a note and I was like, okay. They, 
who sent them? If Delos did not send this military, they, they mentioned they had to sign an NDA before leaving the island. So apparently this military just showed up. And my theory is they found a floating body and followed it. Mm, yeah. And they had to follow exact coordinates. I'm sorry. I'll stop. I swear. I won't do the uh, I, won't, <laughs> I, won't, I won't keep this up forever. But this is where we find out that uh, the communications have been down for two weeks. Uh, Strand meets Bernard and he lets him know that uh, before he lets him know that he's talking about how uh, it's nice to meet you even though our circumstances are less than ideal. And as he says less than ideal, Bernard also says less than ideal. Uh, what is going on here? Like, How is Bernard predicting what this guy is going to say unless... We are seeing some sort of like, is this itself a flashback? And is is this proof that that scene between Bernard and Dolores at the start of the episode, is that the furthest point forward in the timeline that's going on here? Sorry, I'm just having some cortical fluid leaking out of my ear right now. Right. Well, his brain goo is leaking. So what I think is, you know, maybe when at the very first scene he says, I'm sorry, I was lost in thought. That entire thought is the entire Oh, my God. It all takes place inside of his mind in the snow globe and the eyeball of the giant is Westworld. Exactly. Oh, really quickly, I want to point out that Mailing, I think that's how you pronounce her name, the military, uh, the militia lady working with um, Skarsgård 3 is Betty Gabriel from Get Out. Oh, nice. I didn't even, I didn't pick up on that at all. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I was like, wait a second. I recognize her and I double checked. It is Betty Gabriel from Get Out. And I hope that she stays on the show. She seems pretty cool. She seems like, uh, don't don't mess with her type. Yeah, she's badass. Yeah. Uh, Strand is badass in his own right. This new scientist we're meeting, Mr. Costa, he seems fairly badass in his own right, performing field surgery on a member of Ghost Nation. This is obviously a really evocative scene in him scalping this member of Ghost Nation. It's just, you know, very subversive and dark. Uh, and we see underneath this guy's scalp, we see the maze, the maze logo, yes. uh, which we have seen under the scalp of uh, one character in the past whose name I am blanking on, but it was in the very first episode of the whole show when the man in black caught him and removed his, uh, his, his scalp and saw the maze logo and it gave him some kind of idea of where to go next. So, you know, what's going on there? What's happening? Well, I thought it was interesting. I thought, I thought back and I thought, um, young William or man in black, sorry, uh, older William did notice uh, he's the only person that we know knows about these skull caps and knows about the game, you know, and they'll get to the scene later with young uh, Robert Ford and the game is on for part two. But uh, I believe I, the fact that Hemsworth three didn't even know what it was. Uh, there's so many details that uh, people at Delos have no idea that Robert Ford put into the park. Uh, they don't know about the maze. They don't know about the door, I assume. And we'll get to that later. But I thought it was really interesting. They really showed us the the maze on the skull to see if it triggered Bernard and to see if show us that uh, Delos has no clue what it is. I think one of the things that's exciting about that, too, is, you know, the, the man in black character is based on the Yul Brenner character from the Michael Crichton movie, who is, you know, a gunslinging robot. For the show, the man in black is a human being. Um, but some people have held out hope. Like, is he secretly a robot, like unbeknownst to himself? And I think that one of the things that could have lent some credence to that idea is that he was the only human being, as far as we had known, who saw 
that maze logo on on somebody's on somebody's head and like if he was secretly a host like that would be something that he could process but maybe nobody else would be able to see and now we're seeing a bunch of different human characters reacting uh so i think that that washes uh any like if that was a, a point in the in the column for the man in black potentially being the host in black, which is not something I really subscribe to. Uh, I think that right. that is gone now, unless all these people are hosts, unless Strand's a host and Costa's a host, <laughs> and everyone's a host, and you and I are hosts of this podcast. Turn the level of douchebag up to 100. Yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> so this is when we see uh, through this man's perspective, this dead man's perspective, you talked about the uh, like the brain goo and... The brain ball extractor. Yeah, what do we want to call the, the host brain? I mean, it is it's uh, it, it looked like, I don't know, it was like a sea urchin, like, a, like an albino sea yeah. urchin. I don't know. I just wrote brain ball extractor and iPad. Yeah, <laughs> and it was all very uh, impressive for on the spot field reading. I mean, sure. it was really cool to see like a host dissected in that way. Uh, it was, but also watching Bernard see it happening, knowing no one knows he's a host and having him watch basically, you know, that happened and it could happen to him. It was just, again, I think Jeffrey Wright is an MVP. He's here. spectacular. I mean, this episode is really, it, 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 the success of this episode is, is built so heavily on his shoulders. He has so much that he has to do and so much that he has to convey without speaking, uh, you know, right. on, on so many occasions, you know, he certainly has dialogue, but he has a lot going on that is just, confounding uh that is you know him just having to to process wordless information and convey wordless information he's he's spectacular here um right we get the information from this uh dead man's uh video file that he was killed by dolores and by teddy and dolores says something along the lines of i told you friend not all of us deserve to make it to the valley beyond what is the valley beyond joe I'm so glad you asked um, because she made and she also said that to the cup, the uh, humans that she was hanging, leaving hanging in the end from the party. She said that to them. Um, and the stable boy that interrupted the humans escape in the stable said, uh, would you like to take a ride for the greener pastures in the valley beyond? So I actually think they're talking about a location and not. Yeah. Death. And I think it's, you know, if there's so many different people who are who are, you know, conjuring those words, especially like the stable boy and that happening so quickly after Dolores has killed Ford, like it feels like some sort of latent programming maybe is starting to come to the surface now that Ford is gone. Like maybe something he has along with everything else, like the fact that hosts can kill people now. Um, is it something that he's like triggered in them to like be like searching for this thing? And what is this thing that they're going off to search for? Or maybe the door is in the Valley beyond. Yeah. Or it could be the same thing. Um, but we we see this video and we have Bernard like kind of tweaking out once again and twitching. And this is what takes us to the main time uh, period, I think, for the majority of the rest of the episode, as I understand it anyway. Who knows what's going on? <laughs> uh, but we, we flash back to Bernard in the immediate aftermath of Ford's assassination. And he's there with Charlotte Hale. He's hiding out with her. There's a bunch of other Delos board members who are here. Uh, Rebus, bad boy Rebus this time. He's playing uh, Johnny Appleseed or Johnny Milk Bottle, however you want to call it, <laughs> with some poor, some poor guest who he, who he kills. 
and as you mentioned, the stable hand uh, shows up just as Bernard and the people he is with are planning an escape because there is an outpost that is only a couple of miles away. Uh, and Bernard who, of course, knows what he is, who he is, he knows he's a host, is forced to watch as these people murder this innocent guy who is of Bernard's kind. But Bernard can't out himself right now without risking the same thing befalling him. Um, and in the process, he gets knocked on the head. And that is where uh, cue brain goo is what's happening here. It's just very, very gnarly stuff. It's quite the viscous fluid. It is very, very viscous. Cortical fluid, uh, as uh, we come to to find out later in the episode. Uh, I would just like to point out that it's very Tin Man. um, And I'm just saying there's no Yellow Brick Road, but it's very like, you know, fixing the Tin Man and getting him the oil. I just, you know, I think there's some allegories to be made here. If he only had a heart. I mean, I think Bernard has a heart. Oh, it's we'll the brain, right? No, he needs the heart. The scarecrow is the one who needs the brain. Yes. Yeah. He seems he yeah. seems smart enough. He feels like he's got empathy as well, Bernard. So yes. I don't know. But that's that's an interesting thing. Is there some sort of compassion or empathy that he needs to either learn or instill in others along the way here? You know, I like that stuff. Yes. I'm a softy. Oh, yeah, totally. Big softy. Uh, Sorry, rabbit hole. No, love it. Uh, tin man hole. Uh, so yeah. so we go from from that moment to our first real sighting outside of that video feed of Dolores uh, and Teddy in this episode. And this was the epic shot from the Comic-Con trailer last year of Evan Rachel Wood with the gun belt slung across her chest and just riding down a bunch of guests and pumping them full of lead. And it is this, uh, this image that is both triumphant and iconic and terrifying. Very scary. It is. First of all, Evan Rachel Wood. Amazing. Very good. Amazing. Yes. Uh, I would just like to point out that Teddy does not shoot or kill anyone in the entire episode. He is following behind her. He is not shooting. He, he does not and seem when, to be enjoying this very much. No, I just think it's a, it's a very important, important distinction, and it leads to something we'll talk about at the very end of the episode and maybe why this happened. Teddy seems like he's going to be just fine. I don't know why anyone would be concerned for <laughs> Teddy right now. You know, what's one more death, right? Like, you know, he's died a million times at this point. Oh my god, they killed Teddy! You bastards! Alright, so we see Dolores and Teddy, they uh, they have three humans captured. Um, they're tying them up with nooses and putting them on tombstones and they're going to abandon them here, but not before uh, psychologically tormenting them in addition to the physical torture. And we get this great monologue from Evan Rachel Wood about how, oh, I'm not Dolores, I'm not Wyatt, I'm just me. I just think it was spect- what a spectacular showcase for her. The whole like, the, well, the farmer's daughter would think this, but Wyatt would think this. But now I'm me. That that consciousness that you referred to at the beginning, it's just so it's so fascinating and terrifying to watch unfold. And I think that Evan Rachel Wood should be commended for really like like with Jeffrey Wright. It's so much in the facial expressions. Um, and there's so much going on behind their eyes that I thought it was just amazing. Do you think that we're supposed to be looking at Dolores as uh, a white hat or a black hat? You know, we she certainly Evan Rachel Wood gets top billing on this show. Well earned. She is the protagonist in so many different rights. Um, but 
like if if Teddy seems like a little skittish about what's going on here, and he's kind of the you know sort of an innocent uh, type, other than the time he went on a horrible killing spree back in <laughs> in season one, but he seemed like he was not completely in control in that moment. I don't know. Should we be like? concerned about Dolores? Should we be rooting for her? Certainly so many of these people deserve what they're getting, but does everybody deserve such ruthless treatment? What's your take on how we're supposed to be feeling about Dolores at this point? There are two sides. One is dark, one is light. I mean, honestly, I think that as a robot, as a host, Dolores Abernathy is a white hat. Uh, Wyatt, uh, the consciousness of Wyatt put into that character is a black hat. And I think that Dolores Abernathy... Uh, the fully conscious version is going to be somewhere in between. I don't think there's a gray hat, but I think it's, I think by the end of the season, we'll know. I think Westworld uh, HBO should be putting out gray hats. I feel like those, those I, would sell. I would wear or buy one of each for my auction. I'm just saying. Uh, speaking of hats, how about the man in the black hat and his first scene of the episode? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man in black. We go to <laughs> we go to Escalante and we see how he survived the uh, terrible, terrible evening that he was probably quietly very excited about. Uh, he was hiding underneath a pile of bodies. And that image of Ed Harris just bursting out from underneath the pile of bodies was so great. <laughs> I mean, what he's masterful, um, and I just think what he's having the time of his career. Just Ed Harris, just it's such a joy to watch him work. Um, and obviously, he's a genius, and he's going to use human shields literally to you know save his life. But I have a long-standing conspiracy theory that you know, as a majority shareholder and owner of Westworld now, every single host now, even this new version, uh, is not allowed to kill him. Yeah, I mean. I hope that that's I hope that you're wrong about that because I loved this scene where he's fighting hosts for the first time in this new world order and like it really does seem like he could be in big trouble. Like it really right. seems like he's got to get creative in order to survive here. Yeah, I mean I hope so maybe now that the hosts have turned that particular instruction has been deleted. Yeah, I mean, it's such a, it's so great watching him, uh, like turn this guy into a human shield and best him with like a bucket and then use the guy's gun. And, uh, I mean, the whole thing is just, it's, it's a really cool, clever man in black fight scene. And the way that he is just grinning and smiling about it all. Yes. I love that. I also love the, you know, the, the, the self-surgery he does on himself yes. uh, in his room. And then, the, of course, he has a trunk with extra black hats because I was going, wait, it's Ed Harris. Where's the black hat? It's weird. I expect that the man in black, uh, he probably just has like, I don't know, like secret buried treasure chests throughout the park. <laughs> and they all contain the same thing, like some some liquor, like a gun or two, a knife. Uh-huh. And, and a hat. And a hat. Yeah. Full. That's, that's his survival kit. Yeah, he can't go anywhere without a hat. He needs to have the hat. It's very. It was weird watching him fight without it. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, it was it, you know, who is he without the hat? Who is the man in right. black without the black hat? And I'm just saying, just like the glasses might be a, a, tr- a prop or a trigger, maybe when the hosts see the black hat, that's a signal to them. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really excited about the next scene that we see, the next character combination that we are getting, which is, uh, of course, our favorite, Tandy Newton as Maeve, who has just oh my God. always been terrific on this show, uh, aligning with Sizemore 
of of, <laughs> of all people with, with Simon Quarterman, who plays Lee Sizemore, who gave a great interview to us uh, about his work in this episode, um, who is who is you know not been like the the critical darling of Westworld, I don't think, but is in a pretty interesting spot here at Maeve's mercy. He has to weasel himself out of dying uh, at her hands, and I think he he, he succeeds fairly well until he fails. Uh, but I think it's a really great pairing because it's unexpected, and Maeve is so in charge, and the role reversal in so many ways. And we'll get to that as we dissect the scene further. But I thought it was a brilliant pairing. It's very interesting uh, putting these two characters together. I think where you've got Maeve, who has all of this godlike power now. You know, she's able to tell hosts what to do, uh, which is very, very cool, and still seems like probably the most advanced power we have seen from any of the hosts. Um, now she's palling around. With somebody who reticent to say it, but is a god in his own right in this place as the guy who has written so many of the storylines and knows the characters. That's something that Maeve says to him um, when they team up. She says, don't sell yourself short. Yeah, you don't have survival skills, but you know everybody in this park. That's, you know, very important. That's that's an, an important skill that you have. Right. And even without Maeve, the, the payback is a bitch, I must say. The, you know, programming a cannibal and then running into that cannibal when he's free. Um, that was great. And that was an amazing scene. Um, and Maeve using a line on him that he wrote for her. I, there was just some really, there were some nice wink winks in there. Yeah, it was, it was really great. Uh, and of course, now we have it confirmed. I think everybody really suspected in any way that the reason that Maeve has stayed behind is she's going to go and she's going to find her daughter. And I'm very curious to see where this is going. Like, what is the end result of this quest? You know, what will she find when she goes in search for her daughter? Will she find her daughter fully intact and fully excited to be reunited with her mom? Will she find her daughter with like some different kind of build whose recollection of those experiences is either non-existent or just very different and disappointing? Um, you know, Sizemore makes the point of like, She's not real. She's just a story. She's something we programmed. Is there going to be truth to that? Or is Maeve going to be right? Um, that, you know, what if I took these unreal fingers and used them to decorate the wall with your outside personality? Would that be real? Like, what is real? You know, what is... Uh, and that is actually, you know, a question that I believe Dolores poses to Bernard at the top of this episode. So it's, uh, I think, a question that is very central to the show. And I'm very curious to know what Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy and the writers have in mind for that answer in regards to this specific storyline. I was caught up on two words that she said that Maeve said, she said, or or I'm sorry, that Sizemore said that she severely malfunctioned when she was a host in that narrative with her daughter. And I have a theory not to jump ahead, uh, but I just want to mention because we're in the Maeve of it all is that, you know, is the daughter an implanted memory and a fake host or in my head, it's a real memory from someone else's life and that that daughter exists and that that daughter is real. And is uh, that daughter is Charlotte Hale. Ooh, interesting. So you think Charlotte Hale might be a host? Uh, no, I'm thinking Charlotte Hale might be working there to find some answers as well and work her way up. And that's why she's so young at a young age. She started out young. She's known for a long time that there was a host there based on her real mother. 
um, that they've implanted her with the memories of her real mother who has now died. Interesting. Uh, this is one of my crazy conspiracy theories. No, I like it. And I mean, it's a great segue, too, because we're about to see uh, some Charlotte Hale badassery in this very next scene um, yes. when Bernard and Charlotte and the rest of the guys that they were trapped with, they come upon a vehicle. It turns out to be it's a trap. Uh, you know, it was it was not the saviors that they that they thought that they would find. It is uh, Tallulah Riley's character Angela and a bunch of Dolores's posse who uh, ambush these guys. They let one guy go uh, and they kill the rest. And Charlotte and Bernard hang back and they watch from a distance. And Bernard, who is just like physically freaking out this entire episode because he's having this critical failure, uh, Charlotte's like, "Relax, Bernard. I got this. I I know where we're going." And uh, jumping ahead just a little bit, but where they're going is going to be this really awesome secret bunker that apparently Bernard doesn't even know about, which is kind of right. a big deal because he's supposed to have a lot of clearance. Right. And that makes me think that, that Ford didn't even know about it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine Ford not knowing anything that's going on in the park, right. but, you know, it's it's certainly possible based on what we're seeing here. Right. I mean, and yeah, we're going to get to the, uh, so obviously they killed off the humans and um, they go into the hatch. They go, they go into the hatch. Before we go into the hatch, we have, uh, we have the, the final Sizemore and Maeve scenes of the episode. I believe we're close to the final Sizemore and Maeve scenes of the episode uh, is when they find Hector Escaton, uh, Rodrigo Santoro, who you may or may not recognize from some other uh, show that may or may not have been referenced in this podcast. Uh, and how great this like um, this this like star-crossed lovers moment between the two of them, where Hector, who's just been like filled with bullets, is still alive and is so thrilled to see Maeve, and they just make out and <laughs> are in love with each other, and it's so sweet. Where you go, I follow. I know, yet it's a total program narrative, their relationship. Yeah, probably. (laughs) I mean, mean, she's fully aware. We don't know that he is yet. Yeah, I mean, is he programmed to to be in love with her, or is it just like the recent experiences? It's right. It's hard to know, but they definitely have this kind of faded quality uh, about the two of them. Um, right. So the two of them, they're going to pair up. He's going to help her find her daughter in the park. Sizemore's coming along for the ride. They suit up, uh, but first they suit down. <laughs> okay, I have to make a joke, and please excuse me, and please don't be offended. But when I saw that line, and let's do a little quid pro quo, because the last season, um, Maeve spent a lot of time naked yes. in the lab. And so the tables have turns, and she has asked Sizemore to strip. And she could have changed, and she could have turned around or just not been interested. But I think this was purposeful to have him do it. And I just, I have to say, his name is Sizemore, but in that moment, I thought, size less. Uh, Am I right? Joe. <laughs> Now, listen, dudes, before you get mad at me, I have no context. So just <laughs> FYI, um, just had to make a joke because they did name him size more. Yeah. And then they had him stripped down. And Tandy Newton uh, was nude a lot last yes, season. She was. So we get a little of the opposite. Thank you, HBO. Yeah. And Simon Quarterman, again, the actor who played Sizemore, was really eloquent about uh, this scene when we spoke with him and, and what he feels like it means and how it's very subversive, not only within the context of Westworld, but also just in, in larger themes. And he talked about how um, with his character, who's been very brash and has been all about ego, um, that this is potentially like the start of a softening of this character and like a bit of an emasculation and like a de 
de-escalation of a lot of the toxic masculinity that you see within Westworld and certainly without Westworld. Uh, so I think that that's great. I think that to have that in the first episode of this new season, um, when we are seeing characters like Dolores and Maeve really in control of their destinies, uh, I think it's a it's a powerful image. It's an awesome image. And uh, it's it led to Joe making a very funny joke. So I apologize. Not everyone knows me, but uh, trust me, dudes, I have no context. I am an all-American, warm-blooded lesbian, so I just had to make that joke. And we will move forward with that. No, it's great. Uh, <laughs> let's go. Let's go into the hatch. Let's get into the yeah. hatch with what's going on with Bernard and Charlotte, who are uh, who have to like use a DNA sniffer or something or other in order to get inside of this secret hatch that's filled with creepy, creepy drone hosts. So my wife is a forensic scientist and when her spidey senses went up, when they, when they, she said, Oh, you know, we have to open the door to with me and it'll sense your DNA. And she was like, wait, he's a host. And I said, skin suits are built, but clearly they designate separate DNA for each host, which is an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Um, what's your take on that? Why do you think that's in place? It's a way of identification. Um, you know, I know that they repurpose the bodies. Um, and so they might just, you know, using certain, they obviously use uh, some sort of DNA to build the skin suits. And so I guess it's a differentiating factor. Um, or maybe there's way more to it. And that was a hint. There's a lot going on with DNA. Uh, yeah. you know, Can we talk about the samples and where they took them. Yeah, from? what's going on? So Bernard like goes in there, and you know Charlotte is doing her thing. She's trying to talk to somebody on the internet, such as it exists uh, <laughs> at this point in Westworld. And whoever she's talking to has no interest in saving anybody until they receive the package until they receive the thing that they need, who we come to find out is Abernathy. Uh, Dad Bernathy. Dad Bernathy, indeed, who has all of this, like, you know, data that's been, you know, implanted in him from season one. And we know that there is some important information swirling around in his noggin, but we've got no idea where he went when Sizemore went to go and find him and put him on the train in the season one finale Dad Bernathy was nowhere to be found. So MIA Dad Bernathy. But while Charlotte is investigating all of that, Bernard is just peeping around the lab, just like walking in between drone hosts, which again, so creepy, very, very scary. These gigantic white drone monsters. Uh, I call it uh, American Horror Story drone host. Yes, it really is very Ryan Murphy. It's like <laughs> it's like Rubber Man all over again. Exactly. Albino Rubber Man. Uh, like the albino sea urchins. So we see these drone hosts are uh, swabbing DNA from blood and other genitals. body parts. Yes, the genitals are also being swabbed. And Bernard gives voice to like what you're like concerned about as you're watching it. He says to Charlotte, are we recording experiences from the guests and are we logging their DNA? She's like, I can't talk about that right now, Bernard. It's only the first episode of the season. It's too early to confirm or deny exactly what we're doing there. Well, I can tell you that they are tracking the humans to see, uh, tracking which humans they copulated with for blackmail and insurance of the non-disclosure agreements. That would be one. Yeah. You know, that would be normal. But a nice conspiracy theory would be, well, they need new DNA for new skin suits and new bodies to create. So why not get it from the from the hosts? I mean, from the humans. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I think that both of those possibilities are very firmly on the table in terms of like, are hosts going to be modeled after people? Uh, is their privacy being violated? Like, are the guests' privacy? Like, is that something that they're not taking into account. And I think that Nolan and Joy are uh, among the many reasons why this show is great is I think that they're really tuned in to uh, 
trying to make some social commentary and really dial into what's happening in the real world. And there's a lot of questions about privacy and technology. Uh, and I think to, to have that on the show here through these hosts, I think could potentially be a really interesting door to walk through. I mean, I mean, this show is fantasy, but it's also prescient in many social and technological issues. So absolutely, they have their finger on the pulse. Yeah, so we'll see where that's going to go. We'll get back to these characters in a bit. But speaking of the door, uh, let's walk <laughs> through the door that is set up for the man in black as the man in black finds little Bobby Ford, right? What's oh, called young Bob, uh, little little boy robot Ford shows up. And uh, is very creepy with a heavily digitized voice. And he tells uh, the man in black, he tells William. I don't know why we're still being so uh, so formal <laughs> with, with William or Bill as that one guy called him before getting shot in the head. Maybe we don't call him <laughs> Bill. Uh, he tells him about the new game, Joe. The game begins where you end and ends where you begin. Yeah. Where's what? that? Yeah, what does that mean? The the exact quote or close to exact, I wrote it down, is what I've always appreciated about you is you've never rested on your laurels. You made it to the center of Arnold's maze, but now you're in my game. And in this ah. game, you have to make it back out. You must find the door. Uh, what is the door? And then he says the game begins where you end and ends where you begin. Where is that? I don't know. I don't know what the game is, but I love it. I love it because the first game was a maze and the second game, there is a door. Is it actually, is it an exit out of Westworld? Is it an exit into Shogun World? Ooh, yeah, that's possible. Is it like a door into, you know, just another park? Uh, maybe even Park 6, as we hear about later in this episode, some multiple parks in play. Is it a door through... Uh, is it a door through consciousness? Like that's it, it, we know that the season. Um, perhaps if you're listening to this, you you don't know, but you're about to know. Uh, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy talked about how they give subtitles to their seasons, like unofficial subtitles. Season one of Westworld, they internally referred to as the maze, and season two, they have internally referred to as the door. So whatever it is that William is in search for here. It's very thematically resonant and important and probably literal in some capacity. Uh, and it's just it's way too early to figure out exactly what that is. But it's exciting. It's something to you know put a pin in. It's interesting because I just uh, went and saw Ready Player One, the Steven Spielberg movie, and I'm a huge fan of the book. Um, and I really enjoyed the movie, and even though it was very different. And I was thinking about that with Westworld, that William, Will, Bill, Man of Black, is on his own Ready Player One journey. He's in a game designed by a mastermind and sort of an old man lunatic. And what is his ultimate prize and goal? What are the keys he has to find along the way? And what is what what does William want out of this? If it leads to the man in black uh, fighting his way through the Overlook Hotel, I'm in. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shining World. <laughs> Take me there. Absolutely. I want to go to there. <laughs> That's amazing. I think that'd be great. Uh, how about this uh, This Teddy and Dolores scene? Uh, the two of them, oh, they're, they're uh, you know riding cliffside. Uh, Teddy talks about how we've ridden for 10 miles and all we've seen is blood. Is this what you really want? And Doris is like, yes, it's absolutely what I want. <laughs> I'm very happy with how this is going so far. 
And he's like, okay, sweetheart, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, pretty right. much. You know, he's pretty, pretty <laughs> easily convinced. I mean, James Marsden, who is, I think, an unsung hero on this show. There's so many great actors uh, that I think sometimes he's a little bit overlooked, uh, especially because I think, you know, he's playing, you know, he's like the straight man. He's very, you know, sturdy. Um, yeah. But he's he's got this, like, I don't know, like this expression of, like, kind of horror on his face. Like, he just seems... Uh, very uh, unnerved by everything that Dolores is saying. But she's talking about how we need to not only co- uh, conquer this world, we need to we need to conquer the greater world that's out there, the one that belongs to them. It's not <laughs> enough to win this one. We need to take that one as well. It's like, ah, man. Power hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling when she meets up with Maeve, Maeve is kind of like the new Bernard and she's controlling the host with her voice. She's going to take his uh, human and hesitation uh, settings down a notch to be more brutal. I, because I think that's likely. I think that he's just too human uh, for Dolores to continue operating like this. Yeah, I think that that's very likely. Um, but at least they're, you know, they seem happy right now. They're kissing. Things seem to and be I, okay. I, I, I'm just, I was fixated on the fact that Teddy didn't raise his gun anyone he was literally following Dolores and he's following but to a point and we'll get to the very last scene of this episode yeah I think it's you know it's it's pretty clear that even even in this scene I think Dolores is making it clear that like Teddy you gotta trust me I'm a little more woke than you are right now you're still waking (laughs) we're still waking up Um, and there's that moment at the end of this scene where uh, Angela rides in on her horse and she says we found it and Dolores says to Teddy, I need you to see this. I need you to see the truth. So it feels... Is it the Valley Beyond? I mean, it feels early to go straight there. Doesn't that feel like kind of endgame material? But maybe. It does. But what is it? It doesn't say he or she or they or them. It's it. Yeah. I mean, it could be. I mean, that would be exciting if like the speed of this season is a little faster in that regard where like they lob up this mysterious name of a place and you're just there in episode two would be awesome. It would be, but we know it'll never happen. It, probably not. Probably not. But whatever it is, uh, she says, I need you to see the truth. So uh, it, it certainly seems like for Dolores, it's still a mission to get Teddy fully on board. Right, right. Totally. Uh, so then we've got this Bernard and Charlotte scene where they are, uh, she's getting dressed and Bernard is, he says that there's a way to figure out where Abernathy is that like these hosts have like hive minds sort of where they can like ping each other. And like, uh, it's like, it's like airdrop. I don't know how, how technology <laughs> I have the, works. I have the quote because I'm fascinated by it. It's all hosts have a subconscious link to the closest host around them. It lets them pass basic information to each other, like ants in a colony. And the network helps us keep narratives from colliding. That's cool. <laughs> That's that, it's a great cool. visual and a great, I believe like that line's going to come in handy later on. And also I was thinking back to the first scene with Bernard and Dolores. They have a subconscious link to the closest host. They're both hosts. Yeah. So what's what's potentially going on there? Like what's left unsaid? There's some good Wi-Fi in that room is all I'm saying. Great Wi-Fi. Very <laughs> strong signal. Get those hosts to Hall H at Comic-Con in exactly. a few months. Please. Your friendly, <laughs> friendly neighbor THR blogger is begging you. Please improve the Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh my God, seriously. Uh, in that scene in the lab, though, I love that he takes, he boosts like a shot of brain juice from the dead host, Bernard, and he inserts it in himself to sort of take himself back online. Yeah, he needs to do that because he finds out that he's got like seven hours before he has a critical corruption. Uh, system failure. System, system failure. failure. Yeah, it's not looking great for Bernard. I think it seems like he's bought himself some time there. Uh, we're, you know, very luckily we know that Jeffrey Wright is still going to be around <laughs> two weeks from this moment in the timeline of the show. So that's great. But 
I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on what's going on here and why he's kind of tweaking out? I feel like the key is the brain goo, that the liquid um, has something to do with the preservation of the chip in the head and that it protects it. And that obviously when it, he's been jarred so much, and I don't know if it's because he woke up in the water or he's hit his head, but he needs the brain liquid to keep his chip um, from malfunctioning or dying. He's just like missing cortical fluid because his mind has been blown by the revelation that he is a host and he, just can't, he can't get over it. I mean, you said mind blown. So there you go. There's a visual. Yeah, I think that that works. <laughs> um, so we go from there. He has a read on where Abernathy is. And, you know, hopefully we're going to follow that up pretty soon. Um, but we don't follow it up any further in this episode. We go from there to tripping back forward in time to that two weeks later time period, which is where we end the episode. And this is where we see Bernard and Strand and Stubbs. They reach Escalante. Uh, we see so many like rotting cadavers, including <laughs> the late Robert Ford, who's just got the the maggots swimming around in his eye. It's gross. It's terrible. I, I, I have one bad joke. Do it. Hannibal has lectured himself. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I had to. I apologize. And also, I'm proud of it. You're welcome. Let's move uh, on. Poor yeah. Hannibal. No one would ever think to say those words about Hannibal Lecter. But, <laughs> That's true. Uh, the the uh, the maggots are putting the lotion on the skin. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if that will be enough to save Robert Ford. I thought that this was a really funny line on the show. Poor bastard probably thought getting fired was going to be the worst part of his night. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he got fired in a sense. Oh, damn. See, we are on fire. So there you go. Bernard still has no apparent memory of what happened here. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, they get out of here and they keep going. They're on the road. They roll up to like a lake and there is a tiger on the lake. A Bengal tiger. A Bengal tiger. Uh, it's wandered very far from home. And uh, Hemsworth 3, as you like to call him, yes. says, we have Bengals in Park 6. We've never had a stray cross park borders. Fascinating. Well, I assume Park Six is Shogun World. Yeah. And that's where the stray bangles, you know, it's like the polar bear lost. You're like, this doesn't belong here. Yeah. Here's something, Joe. Yes. So if you go to DelosDestinations.com, which is Ooh. which is one of the HBO viral sites around this show, uh, they have revealed, uh, you know, Westworld by now is a destination that you can go to. It hypes up Shogun World as a destination that you can go to. And then it lists four other parks that they <laughs> offer no details, no insight, no <laughs> nothing on. Um, but Shogun World is park two. Ooh. So okay. wherever the Bengals are from are from Park Six, and that is apparently not Shogun World. So okay. I don't know. Get the wheels starting. Where is I, this thing from? Well, I have a theory about the animals because of the scene with the dire wolf running through the dead carnage. Yeah, the um, wolf, yes. And the buffalo <laughs> right. obviously is in is in cold storage right now. You know, it's being it's in the it's in the HQ. So I think the animals in Westworld are built and programmed. They act as the eyes and ears in park. That's why the wolf is roaming the carnage looking for anyone who's alive. And also the vulture that we see a little uh, cameo by Mr. Vulture. Uh, I believe all the animals are programmed. The wolf sees the man in black. They eye each other. He's the owner of Westworld. He takes a pass. He's not going to report him. So there's like somebody back home who is watching like a video feed through the eyes of the animals. I strongly believe so. And that's why the Bengal was found dead. Someone knows that. 
whoever uh, in this alternate reality is controlling the vulture is a really sick individual because <laughs> it's just like he's that's Hannibal Lecter because he's just eating people. Indeed. There's vultures are very popular this week. It was also in the season five premiere of the hundred, but that's neither here nor there. All right. Well, you know, you had a podcast where you could have talked about that, Joe. <laughs> I gave it up for you. All Actually, right. I gave, well, <laughs> up, I gave it up for many reasons, but I'm happy to be here. Yes, I'm happy to have you here as well. <laughs> uh, final scene of the episode is uh, they have noticed that the hosts are all clustered together in a Western Valley. What the hell are they up to? They wonder. <laughs> and they go and we are left with the question of what the hell has happened because there are seemingly hundreds of hosts just floating around in a body of water that should not exist based on all accounts. Everybody's very surprised to see this. They talk about how Ford was terraforming the park, but there's no way he could have made this without anyone knowing. So where the hell did it come from? Nobody seems to know. Um, and this is the part where Strand is like, hey, Bernard, I know you're having a tough time. Can you please <laughs> tell me what's going on? Because there are lots of human beings who are out there that we need to protect. And Bernard is looking out at all of these lifeless hosts. And he says, I killed them, all of them. And that is when we see a closer look at one of the hosts who unfortunately is quite recognizable. It is Teddy Flood. James Marston's character is one of these dead hosts. End scene. Uh, what is happening? Cortical fluid spraying all over the place. I'm so <laughs> confused. Well, immediately I thought, okay, Bernard said he killed them all, but I think we're going to find out that Dolores killed Teddy. Yeah. I think that this is, I, I think, I think that there is some sort of, uh, as with so much on this show, nothing is what it appears. And I think that Dolores is somehow responsible for all of this yeah. and that this is somehow part of like a counterattack against the the strand contingent that she's got like another move up her sleeve and the first step is it involves a lot of dead bodies and we know how the hosts work like death doesn't keep them down forever um so i'm i'm really expecting at some point this season like these like waterlogged hosts just springing to life and stirring some crap up Wait, fear the walking waterlogged hosts? Is that what's happening? <laughs> yeah, I okay. think it's possible. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, kind of ironic, of course. Teddy's last name is Teddy. He's Teddy Flood. Right. He is uh, currently drowned. So that can't be by accident. <laughs> On the nose. I like it. A little bit. A little bit. How worried are you for Teddy? Like, do you think that this is the final death for Teddy or you think he's going to be okay here? I think James Marsden is also a movie star and two seasons on an amazing show are two good seasons and I would be okay with it. Yeah, but I I love Teddy. I don't want to see Teddy go. I know, but I feel like there's more storyline for Dolores than just Teddy in terms of the new Dolores. I think one other one other thing about the fact that Teddy is the guy that you see here is like, this is supposed to be like a huge cliffhanger and you're supposed to be very worried about like, holy crap, how did this happen? And I think if there was like somebody else who was floating in that body of water, like I'd be a little more worried. But the fact that Teddy's whole thing was that he's the Kenny of Westbrook, uh, that he's the, he's like the host who always gets killed. And that's like always his thing. I feel like I'm very disarmed right now. Like I'm not on high alert in terms of like, that's the end all be all yeah. for this character. Like if it was Bernard or if it was Maeve, God forbid, yeah. uh, or even Dolores herself, I think I'd be a lot more concerned. But the fact that it's Teddy, 
I'm not terribly concerned. And I wonder if that is like a double, triple, quadruple cross of, you know, mental gymnastics that like, yeah, we know you're not really going to be that worried for Teddy. And that's why Teddy is totally actually dead and not coming back. There could be a Teddy clone. There could be another skin suit. Multiple, multiple Teddies. Yeah. Uh, hey, multiple Marsdens. I'm up for multiple Marsdens. Multiple Marsdens. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to be on the lookout for that. Nice. Nice. Okay. Multiple Marsdens. Write that down. Uh, so that's the episode in chronological order. Uh, if you are a first time listener to this podcast, then perhaps you are not yet aware that Joe Garfine crackpot theories <laughs> all over the place. So here we are as we're reaching the final movement of this week's episode of the podcast. Joe, oh boy. lay them out. What are all of your crazy theories? What do you have? Ooh, for okay, I know we don't have that much time, so I'm going to try and go by character. I'm going to start with uh, the man in black, William. So we know that William was engaged to Logan's sister, Juliet. Uh, you know, we don't know if that was his eventual wife of 30 years before she killed herself, but I'm going to assume yes. So one of my conspiracy theories is that Logan, who we last saw naked on a horse um, 30 years ago, is now working... Um, as part of the revenge plot because his sister killed herself uh, because she was so disappointed in um, Man in Black always going to the park. So I think that he is still part of Delos Corporate. uh, And as part of the puzzle, he is working on the other side of Charlotte. So he is uh, working in HQ of Delos because Logan's family owns Delos. And even though Man in Black is a majority shareholder of the park, I think that there is a, um, a nice setup for the one is dark, one is light continuing. Um, Should I just keep going? Well, I I really feel like the show, you know, they've got Ed Harris playing the older William. Uh, Jimmy Simpson was so good as the younger yeah. William. And Ben Barnes, so great as Logan that I, you just got to feel like they got to get like some rock star actor to play old man Logan. Perhaps Hugh Jackman. Would um, be, uh, I think that would be amazing and a really uh-huh. nice uh, <laughs> crossover because James Morrison is an X-Man. So I feel like... That's I feel good. like I just insulted Hugh Jackman though, because he's definitely not. <laughs> he's of a certain age now. <laughs> they could they could age him up, I guess. I'm they could saying, dye his hair. Westworld X Men. I'm not going to complain. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. What's the next one? Um, you know, uh, we know that Man in Black also has a daughter named Emily, and I assume that is not a throwaway, and she is a part of this larger conspiracy as well. Um, I also think that the Abernathy being used as the data smuggler out of the park. That last season, we saw a modern photo from New York City. And now that we know that it was on Abernathy's farm, he obviously planted that. Maybe it was to trigger Dolores. Um, and so that's one of my theories. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. The photo that you see in the very first uh, first episode, which is what causes him to go completely crazy. And that's what leads us to the whole, these violent delights have violent ends. Yes. I love Lewis Hertham who plays Dad Bernathy and I just we're friends on Twitter. I should have him on our podcast because he's awesome. Yes, please. That sounds like a delightful time. Uh, ideally, whenever he can uh, actually talk about the show, because I'm sure that he right. is going to be under <laughs> extraordinary gag orders. Uh, but I would love that. That sounds fun. Okay, so one thing I noticed, too, is uh, moving on to Maeve. Uh, when Maeve said, I need to go see an old friend at a bar, I assumed she was going to the saloon to find Clementine. Ooh. You know, not upstairs to find her lover, Hector. Um, so I thought, because I made a list of who is missing in this episode. Obviously, they couldn't get to every single character, but Armistice, the tattooed girl, was missing. Yep. Clementine, saloon friend. Elsie, our favorite, who worked with Hemsworth 3 in security. Shannon Woodward. Yes. Um, Lawrence, uh, the cowboy. Uh, he wasn't around. And then our favorite, Lab Rats, Lutz, and Sylvester. 
Yeah, uh, I I cannot wait. This might be a hot take, but uh, I'm almost as excited about the inevitable return of uh, Felix and Sylvester as I am about anything on this show because I want to see how Sylvester handles the new status quo of Westworld because I can't imagine it's going to be good. Oh my god, Josh Whedon Light, it's going to be amazing. It's It's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. Um, I did notice that Maeve referred to Westworld as a game when she was talking to Sizemore, which is what young Robert Ford robot said to Man in Black. So I've never heard anyone else refer to it as a game like that, at least this season so far. So I just like to note these things and say them out loud. Well, you got to feel like there's some sort of collision between Maeve and the Man in Black eventually, right? Considering he had a role to play in her her malfunction, you know, in those... Death of her daughter. Yeah. So that's got to come to a head. Oh, for sure. Um, okay, so young mini-me Robert Ford. I feel like they dress him to look like Pinocchio by design. Uh, he's a fake boy with the slight pants. You know, I just feel like when I was looking at him with his, his little walking stick, his wooden walking stick, and then his short pants, I thought he looks like a little Pinocchio. And if he were to, like, you know, move his face mask yeah. in the right way, perhaps his nose could elongate. Exactly. I'm just, yeah, something I noticed, I like to notice the physicality of these characters, too. Is he going to get swallowed by a whale? Uh, only if it's behind the door and in the new lake he terraformed. Whale world, sea world, sea world's used. Exactly. Yes. Um, so when Dolores has her big, uh, what I call her Emmy speech, uh, up on the hill with Teddy, and she said, I remember. I feel like this is a, her memories are based off of a real human being. And I want to say that it's Emily, that it's William's daughter, um, that that is the narrative, that's the narrative in her mind. And that every author in Westworld, every author from Sizemore on up embeds a part of their own story into the narrative. And that's why there are a lot of revenge plots coming around. And I think that Madame Black's daughter is going to be absolutely key to this season. And um, I'm just going to keep going because I know we don't have yeah, a lot of time. Go for it. I know that I joked, sort of uh, theorized that Charlotte Hale could be the daughter of Maeve. And I still believe that to be true. But I believe more that Bernard, the real Arnold, had a daughter, not a son. And that daughter is Charlotte Hale. And why do I believe that? Because I have a photo of the kid they used last season for his son. And I believe his son was Charlie. Come on, Charlie, Charlotte. We've been down this road before. It's close. It's close. It's good. There's a picture, big eyes, super pretty. Last in this week's episode, when Charlotte scans her face down in the hatch, I took a screen grab of it, and it is almost identical to the picture of young Charlie that they it, use. So it would be exciting with the context of like the fact that Bernard and Charlotte seem to be hanging out a decent amount uh, right now. I was now, so but thrilled with that. So again, in your, in your mind, would would Charlotte know that her father is Arnold? Because if so, then she's looking at Bernard and being like, "You're my dad." I am not sure um, what Charlotte knows and doesn't know because I feel like she would be looking at him differently. Um, I don't know that she she does obviously doesn't know that Bernard is a host. But maybe she'll learn to come to find out that Bernard is a host version of her dead father and learn who killed him and how and why. I feel like, again, there's a lot of this season has to do with daughters. Abernathy's daughter is Dolores. We have the missing daughter of uh, Maeve and I think Bernard's daughter, not son. And so I think there's a through line here. Interesting. Yeah. yeah and of course, you, you already mentioned like the man in black's daughter is yes. out there in the universe. We haven't met her. Yeah. I'm just saying uh, the future is female. Um uh, Abernathy, uh, in the last scene in the hatch, Bernard did locate Abernathy on the iPad in the park. 
So he's here. Yes, there was a just if I saw that I, I screamed, I looked at the screen, I paused it a couple times. Bernard, like uh, when he was plugged into the system, into the network, he there's a thing that said Abernathy. It was in the park. Okay, so that's good news because that means more dad Bernathy. Yes, more dad Bernathy. Uh, so he, did, he didn't escape, although it would have been awesome to see him escape so we could finally figure out what the heck is out there beyond Westworld. Oh, and it. just to see him, like, I don't know, toddling around New York City, dad Bernathy's day out. Right. Um, to move on, another reason I believe that daughters or at least children are huge in this, in this particular season is the opening sequence, the opening titles of Westworld have changed. Uh, it's not just the buffalo that they've added a baby, a mother and a baby. It used to be a couple that obviously a, a Westworld host couple copulating and now in season two, it is a mother and a baby. So I feel like this is relevant. You didn't talk about the opening uh, sequence. They're great, right? Absolutely. And it was also interesting to note that in the saloon, there was no, on the piano, there was an old school regular Western tune playing and not a remake of a popular song. And again, that was a very specific choice because everyone's dead. I feel <laughs> all the music artists are gone. No, I mean in the park. Sorry. Yeah. I just mean that I also believe, and I said this on the podcast last season, that music coming from the saloon piano is a trigger. It's part of the system. I like uh I like that it was it wasn't like a pop culture or like yeah. rock cover or anything like that because it felt like I don't know, it felt like the hosts reclaiming the frontier, you know? Right, absolutely. And talking about Frontier, I think that's the reason they changed the opening titles to a buffalo. Yeah. Uh, you know, the old American West. Um, and I also thought it was interesting that instead of a bull in a china shop, you have a buffalo in a glass world, you know, yeah. down, <laughs> down below. And obviously that's going to wreak havoc. No, um, that's a really that's a really good call. And a buffalo is also something that can roam vast distances out in pastures looking to spy on hosts. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, we got we got buffalo spies going on right. here in Westworld this year. And the only thing I'll leave you with this, which is that I noticed in the Hatch Lab where uh, Bernard Arnold was taking um, uh, brain fluid, there was a white hat sitting in the background. Whose hat is it? We don't know. And that, to me, is a clue. What's it a clue for? Um, someone else who was down in the hatch. Oh, so there's a white hat in the hatch. Yes, and I thought that was a very specific Prop placement. Again, I like to pause scenes and look in the background and Lost taught me how to do that, to look beyond what we're looking at. And okay. so why would they have Bernard, you know, dressed in black, figuring out twitchy and glitching. And then in the back, there's a white hat, a pristine white hat. The man in white. Who is the man in white? I'm just saying it, it, it ain't one of those clone hosts. <laughs> Does that, I mean, listen, first of all, I'm not ready to rule that out. I think a drone host would look fantastic in a fedora. <laughs> Fair. I think that would be a great look. <laughs> <laughs> but if you if you feel like um like somebody like Logan is potentially conspiring right. against the man in black or is somehow involved in everything that's going on here, that could be cool to like pit the 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 man in black uh, as William who entered the park as a white hat and then have Logan be like kind of subverted. In yeah. a white hat, I think could be that could be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just a quick rundown of the, some of the crazy crap that I noticed throughout the episode. Okay, so that's the the kooky theory time here yeah. on the Welcome to Westworld <laughs> podcast. What are there any other stray observations before we wrap up here? Our first uh, our first podcast of the season, first of many, ten episodes yeah. of Westworld per season, and we are uh, nine more episodes to go before we're at the end of the road. 
Amazing. I just think that I'm starting to leak brain fluid. So um, I think that, that that's a sign that uh, my conspiracy theorizing is over until next week. <laughs> right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but Joe, unbelievably fun to, to get back together with you and to go into the hatch and to, and to try and puzzle some of this stuff out. Um, you know, I think already there's just a lot of different possibilities that are open. And I think one of the things that was true of the first season of Westworld, I think you really get to start to you know, probably around like episodes like three or four, you can really start to track like what are the themes that are really important on the minds of Nolan and Joy. Uh, and I and I'm very excited to start, you know, with with uh, the two of us kind of putting our heads together and figuring out what sort of what what are, what are the bigger picture ideas that are in play this season. Um, I think it's going to be fascinating. I'm really I'm really excited about how the show started this year. I'm already so in with the dreams and the fate versus free will and the light and the dark. And I think it's fantastic. And I like that they dive right in and they are not sugarcoating anything. Yeah. Unless the, the cortical fluid is like sugar water. I mean, it might be delicious. We don't know. We have no idea. <laughs> it's the milk, right? It's the milk. It's true. And I would yeah. just say again, grain of salt. Um, you know, we have fun. The whole point of our podcast is to have fun with the show that we all enjoy. And so grain of salt with every theory. Um, in last season, everyone was very kind. When you're being constructive on Twitter or social media, all we ask is that you're kind as well and have fun with it. Where can people find you on the Twitter bots, Joe? I'm on the Twitter at Joe Opinionated, which is the word opinionated with a J because I am all of those things. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I am on Twitter as well. I am at Round Howard. So give either of us a shout. Let us know what you thought of the first episode of the podcast. Uh, again, subscribe. That would be great. Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. Leave us your ratings and your reviews. They would be much appreciated. More Westworld content coming your way on THR as well. THR.com slash Westworld is the way to find all all of that stuff. Cancer gets lost. Cancergetslost.org. Is that correct, Joe? That is correct. Thank you, sir. Look into all of that stuff. It's all for a really great cause. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening to our shenanigans. We will be back next week. Episode two called Reunion, Joe. Who's reuniting? Oh, boy. I'm hoping it's Maven Dolores. That would be fun. I would like that as well. I think that I would, would like be nice. I'd like to see those. Uh, them, they have interesting uh, takeovers colliding and colluding. Yeah, well, let's see what kind of collusion, the good kind of collusion, uh, is occurring in the next <laughs> episode of Westworld. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Take care, everybody. Good night. Good night. <laughs>